Canadian Export Challenge and the Startup Canada Awards are coming to a city near you. Entrepreneurs in Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Mississauga, Montreal, and Fredericton have the opportunity for a full-day entrepreneurial experience. In the morning and afternoon, attend your one-day global accelerator where you will connect to Canada's entire trade, export, and growth ecosystem. Accepted entrepreneurs have the chance to pitch to win $25,000 in cash and up to an additional $100,000 in in-kind scaling support. In the evening, celebrate the winners of the 2019 Startup Canada Awards who are driving innovation and growing the economy in your region. Register for the Canadian Export Challenge at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC and get your tickets to your local award ceremony at startupaward.ca. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. Here to give you a first-hand glimpse into the future of Canadian business, it's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Really excited to bring to you something special that I've been working with, and that's a community, a new community where we're engaging online with entrepreneurs from around the planet. And I invite you to join me. All you have to do is go to the link www.headspacefe.com, where amazing conversations are happening with entrepreneurs. All right, ladies and gentlemen, really pleased to have you back at the Startup Canada a podcast show. We're coming from Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, where I'm at, and I want to meet, uh, have you meet James Bosher. He's the he's a serial entrepreneur who is showing his customers that they can buy happiness. I love it, and it comes in an aesthetically pleasing jar. James is the CEO, custodian of culture, and chief idea officer of one of the fastest growing. Pro-
private companies in Canada, Fiasco Gelato, the winner of the 2018 Startup Canada Prairie's High Growth Entrepreneurship Award. With $1,800 in his pockets, James bought a failing gelato shop mid-recession in Calgary, a city that has eight months of winter every year. James' visions for doing business differently, honestly in craft, and creative innovation has charted a course for Fiasco's business model and led to its national success. A few other, after a few other prior endeavors that always had the intention of helping others, James landed on his feet with Fiasco and drew on his prior knowledge of building brands like Kicking Horse Coffee to help draw the blueprint. Taking that knowledge and using his leadership skills, his creative and innovative approach has led to building something that really matters. I can't wait to get into this conversation. Bringing his dream of a not only for profit business that not only sells great products, but helps make the world a better place is now a reality. And so in today's podcast, we're going to talk about one of my favorite conversations, which is building corporate cultures and how James took the fate of his company into his own hands from such a humble beginnings. Oh my God, what a preview for a movie. <laughs> I love Thanks, it. Yeah. Yeah, James, great to have you on the show, man. And uh, look, uh, we're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff, 1800 bucks in your pocket, fiasco. Uh, I mean, I see that, uh, you know, the frozen yogurt world coming to Fredericton as an example and these dark winters yeah. and so all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but I want to make sure you get, you achieve what you want to achieve in this conversation. What, uh, what's your, what's your takeaway you want our, our listeners to have at the end of the show? That's a great question, Rivers. I um, I think uh, if anyone's listening, they're most likely already an entrepreneur or looking to become one. And uh, I think one of the most important concepts in building a business is realizing that business is not just business. I uh, I hear that all too often, and I I always sort of rebuttal with uh, you know business is actually just about people, those in our care, those that we serve, and those who are in our communities. So when companies lose their way, it often comes back to losing sight of this. So that's that's the number one priority today. And, and I hope at the end, uh, you know, people can kind of look in the mirror and either be confident of the decisions they're making or say, you know, we got to change a few things around here. So, so let's, let's kind of segue a bit already. And I told you I was probably not going to yeah. follow script and I'm already going off it. Um, how do, you know, one of the, one of the struggles that I have and had have, uh, and I work on it every day is living in the moment, living hey. for, about today. So how do you live in your business world, keeping a focus on what you just talked about? Yeah, I um, I stumbled upon a concept not too long ago uh, that I, I sort of dubbed get to's and have to's. And I think uh, too often we say, oh, we have to go to work. And it's such an unfortunate thing. I, I I look at have to's now as like having to go to the dentist. I don't know too many people that enjoy, <laughs> enjoy going to the dentist or have to take the garbage out kind of right idea. On. But if you can create, you know, a, a work environment and a company and, and all that uh, where people get to come to work, they sort of have that expression like they get to go to Disneyland or they get to go mm. uh, to their favorite restaurant. Um, I think that really sort of shifts the mindset. So when I wake up every morning, you know, I uh, I tell my lovely fiance we're, we're so lucky and she always laughs because it's, it gets out of hand sometimes the gratitude. <laughs> but but I realized that, you know, I I um, I truly get to go to work every day and work with the most amazing team and do whatever we want. And, you know, we're not sort of in a, you know, we're, we're definitely in the greatest country, uh, 
on earth for sure. Uh-huh. Um, we've got some amazing, amazing opportunities in front of us. And, you know, we get to sort of set the pace, which for us is pretty fast winning the, the high growth uh, award. But yeah. that's only that's only because we, you know, we see, you know, it, there's an amazing opportunity in front of us. So let's go get it. And so that's really the, 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 the being present piece for me is, is not getting too caught up in the fact that, you know, we've got work to do, but saying we're pretty lucky to get to do this kind of work. That's brilliant, man. So thanks for the share. What's your fiance's name? Uh, Mandy Balak. She's uh, she's also a Startup Canada Award winner. I think uh, it escapes me, but I think she got one in 1516. So she runs a a wonderful company called the Ace Class, which uh, I would say for all entrepreneurs listening, um, (laughs) if you if you can find another one to spend your uh, your evenings with, uh, it's it's pretty special because you got your own sort of uh, coach in the corner. And then you also, um, you know, have the flexibility to, to for those long nights sometimes. So that's cool, man. Well, uh, shout out to Mandy for sure. So take yeah. us uh, take us on that. Okay, eighteen hundred bucks. You saw the <laughs> you saw the Gilletto shop, and what, what time of the year was it when you saw the Gilletto shop? Well, I was doing freelance design uh, for the company. Uh, okay. Gen- a guy named Matt had started the company and I, I sort of got involved early days, 2003 actually. And he, he had a couple shops and, and I, just over the years, I sort of saw this, this hub of community and this ability to assemble people. And everyone was so excited when they came by and, you know, it kind of became this, this little flagship in the community. So as passionate about new ideas, uh, with, within the organization I didn't even work for. I was just a contractor. And right. finally one day Matt sort of suggested that I, you know, I love the company more than he did and I should try to take it to the next level. And, and again, I was, I was in a spot, you know, I, I didn't come from a silver spoon. My, uh, my father, uh, and I spent a bit of time in low income housing and, and on welfare. And, and so when somebody says you should buy my company <laughs> and you have no money, you're in a, a bit of a sticky spot. So, um, right. I ended up, Ended up doing a handshake deal to take over this this one shop uh, at the time in Kensington here in Calgary and and uh, I, yeah I, I literally had eighteen hundred bucks in my bank account and uh, so Matt and I did a handshake deal to repay the the purchase of the company over over three years which um, you know there's there's a bunch of adversity we'll get we'll get stuck in uh, in all that drama if we we uh, if we keep talking about it but there was a fire literally before I had ever made my first dollar in the store and. Uh, uh, Matt gave me an opportunity to walk away and I sort of said, uh, well, if not now, then when? And so I said, you know, can I, can I rebuild this place and see if we can give it, give it a go. And I'm very glad I did. We're almost at 10 years since that event. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing journey to be honest. You know, I, um, by the way, congratulations, um, first of all, um, and uh, you're the type of person that's going to be at the end of your journey saying, whoa, that was quite a ride, yeah. versus, versus I wish I had. I was talking to, um, why, why I'm, I'm, I want to reference this point about the no money, I was having a great conversation with uh, an entrepreneur from my neck of the woods the other day, and, and his, he was telling me his journey, and his journey was based upon those types of deals that you just talked talked about it was based yeah. upon uh okay you look i'd love to uh, i'd like to buy your inventory but i have no money i'd yeah. like to do this do this deal with your land but i have no money and always he was able to find a willing person to say okay well that's all right let's talk about how we can make the deal happen so i think it's right. a really strong lesson that you uh, that you conveyed there so uh, i appreciate that so so take us through the the first couple of years with uh, with 
fiasco and um, and you know, first of all, why that name? That's a that's a that's a that's a brash bold name. Yeah, to be honest, when I uh, when I took over the company, I think um, you know uh, the original founders' intention with the brand was to make it sort of catchy and 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 kind of like a Lululemon ring to it. You know, it's got some some swagger. Um, when I took it over, I really struggled. I uh, I had an intention to to change the name, and then I was like, well, we already have these trademarks in place and whatnot, and so we kind of just rolled with it. And you know, the irony is, is if you look back to the fire of 2009 or the one we had in 2015 or almost being out of business in 2013, 15, 16, like all these years where we were just on the brink, you know, everyone sort of in those moments was like, man, we should have chose some more, you know, holistic name that maybe would have uh, allowed us a different sort of uh, luck throughout, throughout the journey. Um, but yeah, early days were, were incredible. You know, we had the shop and rebuilt from the fire and we were open for about five months and the landlord showed up and said, hey, great job. Uh, your lease renewal is now going to be double. So I ended up literally wow. running this rebuilding for, for almost six months, running the business for five months and then putting everything in storage and saying, what the hell did I just do in, with my life? <laughs> so uh, seriously, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, uh, you know, one of my things I'll share with entrepreneurs, I just gave some advice to a uh, an up and coming uh, products company that reached out for some some mentorship. And I said, you know, often now people are, are looking so hard for uh, funding and, and cash up front. And everyone's talking about how important cash flow is. And I think one of the, the blessings in disguise is I had no access. I had a $10,000 line of credit uh, with with the bank until we were at 2.3 million in sales and and I think that that type of scrappiness and bootstrapping put us in a spot where it was always do or die every day and and that might seem really scary for people but I'll tell you it puts you in a different sort of mode um, where you don't you know start to you know lean back on your heels or or rest on your laurels you've got to you know pull pull pull. Uh, uh, a lot of all-nighters and and go as hard as you can. So when we um, when we had closed the store and then I you know sort of tried to figure things out, I found a small commissary to to make gelato in. It was an old egg factory, and uh, this lady named Sue she opened the door and told me about this guy Charlie that ran the place, and we took over a hundred square feet <laughs> in a in a in a egg egg factory. To make I gotta gelato. tell you, man, it sounds like a musical. This guy, <laughs> this girl named Sue, told me about a guy named, <laughs> named Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and bless, bless both of their hearts. You know, I look back to so many <laughs> macro moments and the, I think this is part of the, the beauty of entrepreneurship is I can literally like look back as if it was, you know, five minutes ago and remember, you know, how, how, what the temperature was and what the season was and what the person was wearing. And, and because that fundamentally, these moments are, are so important and people now when they join the organization, we do a pretty good job of, of telling our history. But when I take them on, we'll call it a little tour and I show them that building, they're like, holy shit. Like, they're like, no way. Like what we do today literally used to come out of that closet essentially. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of bootstrapping. I used to rent a van at, at national, uh, push a chest freezer in the back to drive to Edmonton, which is three hours from Calgary to do deliveries for, for a few restaurants up there. And, and we just kept clicking away, doing whatever it takes. And then, uh, sort of our, I would say our big break was, um, stems out of, you know, what fundamentally fiasco stands for, and that's showing up for the community. And uh, there was the floods in Alberta in 2013. 
And we immediately lost 40% of our businesses. All these restaurants that were downtown were flooded. And that was the 100% of our business was restaurants at the time. So I reached out to the Calgary Zoo and I said, hey, we would, you know, we want to partner with you to, to help raise some cash. You guys have $50 million in damage. And, and maybe if we can just, you know, cast a, a spotlight on that fact by doing a cool flavor, maybe, you know, some people will, will show up with some checkbooks for you guys. So they're super keen. And then they introduced us to Calgary Co-op and Co-op said, can you do a retail package and I'd been sitting on this jar that I wanted to kind of launch and we inadvertently said we got to make it a bit cooler so we did two glass jars in 2013 we named them Bananimal Cracker and High Water Hippo and uh, <laughs> it was this two by two rebuild the zoo kind of Noah, Noah's Ark thing yeah and- and we ended up uh, raising 13 grand for the zoo. But what it did is it allowed us at that moment to kind of take control of our own fate and create our own luck because co-op immediately after that promo ended was like, you guys are, are everything we've ever wanted in a company. Will you launch your plastic jar that the eight flavors that we had been talking about into Calgary Co-op sort of exclusively. So in early 2014, we launched in 24 Calgary Co-ops, all made by hand, 10 liters at a time. And proud proud to say today, Rivers, you know, not even five years later, we're in almost 3,000 retailers across Canada. So Dude, fist pump, fist pump coming through Skype today. Good for you. <laughs> Congratulate. Yeah, that, I, I do too, man. I'm just uh, tingling with this story. I love it. Yeah, and, and we and, are we're available in Fredericton, which is pretty rad. So uh, we're at. Well, we're, we're in a few different retailers. We're working on a deal right now with Sobeys, uh, nice. blah, blah, out there. And then there's a bunch of independents. Uh, if you go on our website and go to the Where to Buy, you can just click that part of the map and find out where to get it. So let's 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 head right now. How do you what's so, the your website address? Uh, just fiasco gelato uh, CA. And when you get there, there's a button right away that says where to buy and you can just click that. So brilliant man you know i uh thank you for that it's just it is it's a great story i'm and i told the audience when we started this is going to be a great great conversation um the uh you know a couple of couple of things uh one you touched on one you haven't yet and i do want to reference that point is the first one is your bootstrapping story and you know, i was at a all-day session yesterday with uh, an organization that uh, that i work with here in new brunswick and i was saying you know we spend so much time teaching entrepreneurs these days to pitch their idea to to uh, investors yet we don't spend enough time teaching them about sales totally. uh, you know that's the basics of raising money go raise some money and yeah you learn from you know because you don't get to sit on the high on the mountain with the cash flow that uh, has nothing to get to do with sales and you just get a little lazy with it so I agree. Uh, yeah so thank you for taking us on that uh, that tour so let's talk culture because sure. uh, uh, that's uh, a conversation again we had about yesterday uh, about helping companies really understand one the importance of culture but two how to ultimately uh, identify and build the culture so take me through your your you know your I'll call it the uh, the classroom view of why culture is important and then talk about some of the uh, some of the aspects of fiasco that uh, embrace your strategy for sure um, I think uh What's really important and similar to what I had shared before about, you know, when you start uh, sort of getting down to that boilerplate, reducing things down to like very simple concepts, it makes it really easy for people to relate. And I think too often in business school or or even in, in literature, they, they try to make it too complicated. So for me, the easiest way I, I always explain culture to anyone is it's your DNA. Right. And if I look 
how I was raised by, you know, my, my parents or my grandparents. It's, it's really quite simple. The culture of my family was, you know, we had family dinners together. We were respectful of our elders. We treated one, uh, one another with respect and dignity. We were always supportive. We worked super hard. We carried our weight, all those kind of things. So when I start to look at that as sort of my foundation personally for what I would want in a workplace culture, um, it made it really easy to start this early. And I'll go back to the DNA comment. So if, you know, you raise a a child and the child's all of a sudden, you know, and they're late teens, early twenties, and now all of a sudden you're trying to teach them how to respect their elders, Uh like good luck, you know? Uh Um, I think fundamentally companies have to acknowledge that whatever has existed from day one, their history, um, how they've treated people since since they started, um, you'll really find out what their culture is. And, and I think too often people try to, you know, put lipstick on a pig, but they're yeah. like, uh, you know, we'll put in some foosball tables and, and yeah. a snack shelf. And we have both. Don't get me wrong. But, um, <laughs> but it's part no. of an overall strategy. Yeah. And, and I would say uh, it, it's probably less uh, strategy might be the wrong word because I would say okay. it's it's more intentional than simply just saying, oh, you know, we have to have a great culture for, mm. you know, A, B and C like retention or or whatever. I, I literally this is like my mantra now is, you know, I, I watched my dad go in and out of odd jobs for most of my childhood. And then he worked with an employer for 18 years. And every time I talked to him, I said, how's work? And, you know, it was always just work. You know, they did some cool things. They have a pretty good company, but they didn't really, really sink their teeth into treating people like they were, they were a, a part of it, like family. And I think that when I look at what we've done with Fiasco, it's, it's truly about building a company that I would want my dad to work for. And I think that wow. anyone anyone listening can go back and say, you know, what, what did my parents say when they came home from their job or what do they say now? Or what does my spouse say now? Or my brother or sister and the, all the, all the organizations they work for. And, you know, it's, it's going to go two ways. One, you know, hopefully is, oh, they're really good to me. And I get, you know, extra holidays or I get some sort of perk or flexibility. And then the other side is generally like, oh, well, you know, business is business kind of thing. So when I look at, you know, how we've, managed to go from, you know, a few people that I would take out for lunch when we were small and, and give them the flexibility to go see concerts they wanted to, or travel when they wanted to, to now where, you know, we've got 65 people effectively, and we offer things like unlimited vacation and benefits and an employee stock option plan and profit sharing and, and really embrace this concept of like, I know that either these people go home and tell their children that they have now, like I work for the greatest company ever. And then their yeah. kids are like so happy for their parents yeah. or, or one day they will have kids and those kids will get to grow up in, in knowing that like there's, there's a company that does this and you know, anything is possible. So there's nothing more special than when a child sees their parents being loved and respected. Oh my God. I, it warms my heart. I, I literally write like handwritten cards to some of the children, like the, the children of people that, that are a part of our team. And then they write me cards back, which is super rad. And, mm. and it's, it's such a, it's such a, like a, a deeply human moment because, you know, their parents just, you know, if we want to 
take it the other way, literally applied for a job, they got a job and they get a paycheck. But we take it to such a level of caring and humanity that that sort of changes the way that people perceive work, which when I look at it, you know, we spend more than a third of our lives at work. So not only do we have to be focused on creating an environment where people thrive and love what they do, but we've got to make sure that, you know, all those people coming into the organization respect and work together in a way that is cohesive. I, I, I take so much pride because I think if you asked anyone at, at our organization, if they dislike one of 65 people, yeah. their answers would say no. Yeah. And it, it, they, they would literally, there's not a person in the organization that they say, oh, that person's not awesome or is disrespectful or whatever it might be. And, and that's to me, like how many companies can say that, you know? I am so fortunate. I work for Opportunities New Brunswick, which is the economic agency of the province. And we just recently won an award of one of the top companies in the country because of our culture. Cool. And yeah, it's very cool. And so I'm, it's totally resonating with everything that you talked about. I mean, this is cool. This is a crown corporation government agency, and it is the total opposite of what you think that a government agency would be. And it's purely because of the culture. I thought I'd be there for maybe seven months. I'm going into my third year and awesome. it's like, man, I just love, love working there. So I, I love that you referenced that point. Um, you, you talk about, about the humanity side of it, um, and uh, I want to, I want to, I want to kind of have you speak to those people that say, "Well, culture—it's that soft piece." What's the, where's the ROI in focusing on the humanity side of your of your business? And you know, if we need to get down into you know churn is low and so on, that's okay because ultimately businesses have to make money uh, to, uh, to 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 survive and and grow. But um, what's your what's your answer to them when they say, ah, yeah, whatever culture, that's just uh, that's just uh, mom and apple pie stuff, whatever. Yeah, I think going back to that sort of idea around. Um uh, the, the difference between business being business and business being people, I think inherently, if you're going to make a buck doing anything, you want to do it, you know, being proud of what you've built or what you've done. So when people say, Hey, like neat idea, young guy with a small business, um, you know, I always say, well, what about some of the greatest companies that have ever existed in the, you know, this, this postmodern age. And we look at brands like Starbucks or Virgin or Nike that literally have assembled some of the most talented and greatest people and turn that into something that has moved moved mountains like literally changed the way the world works but done it with uh, a level of humanity that allows the world to be a better place and i think that when you start to look at companies that have made a lot of money but maybe not done that like no one really cares anymore. And and i i was a part of a conversation yesterday where it was very clear that everybody wants to be involved, but so like you got to you got to be committed to it. You can't just sort of say, "Oh, we're going to have this corporate social responsibility plan and donate a few bucks here and there, or write a check." Like we got to get our hands dirty. We've got to be movers in our community. And I always come back to like, if the community has permitted me to exist, like literally given me permission by buying the product and supporting our cause, yes. We, it is it is inherently our responsibility to give back to that community 
and and it's it's not it's not a question of whether you'd like to or not it's like you must do it and that's what i say every time somebody comes to me with a new idea or a new company i said well how are you going to you know make sure that not only you your product makes the world a better place but your company makes it a better place I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, uh, I, I want to reference one other point that uh, you mentioned about Richard Branson and so on. I, I heard him speak once. He says, I don't understand this work-life balance conversation. Yeah. He says, isn't it all life? Yeah. And it's like, whoa, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, I am. Um, I, I, uh, I love RB. I, I, you know, people wear those, what would Jesus do, uh, bracelets and I wear, I wear, uh, you know, on my sleeve, basically, uh, what would Richard do? And I got a chance to meet him this year and, and he's every, he's everything you think he, he was, he's like the, he's like Yoda. He's just this old wise man. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and I think, you know, we, we've sort of translated into something that I think people can start to champion, which is uh, work-life blend. So work-life balance is where you separate it again a lot of have tos, not get tos. But when you blend it and, you know, we, you know, if somebody doesn't have childcare, they can bring their kid to, to fiasco for the day and, and hang out. And those kids love come over like that's the level every company needs to play at. Because if you're not, if you're not caring about the families behind the people that work for you, like just let them go work for a company that will, that's not fair, you know? Yeah. 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 That's right. Let them go. Absolutely. My friend, you are the C- you are quote unquote, the CEO, the custodian of culture and the chief idea officer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, break down. What is each, what is, sure. what is the responsibility of each one of those for right. our entrepreneur audience? <laughs> okay. So early days, uh, I never wanted to be, you know, I'm, I'm a kid that grew up with not very much and, and never went to post-secondary school. So for me to put CEO on a business card just seemed like a, a bit of a sham. So um, <laughs> early days, I just said chief idea officer. I've got to, I got to think up all the ideas as we continue to build this company and, and champion them. And so that's really what my job was. And then, you know, as we started to enter, I would say a little bit more of a, I don't want to say a serious level, but there's a certain like, who is the CEO kind of question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I decided to to riff on that and say, okay, chief yeah. ID officer and CEO, and still sort of keep the charisma and and the energy of of what Fiasco is. And then it was only about a year and a half ago we launched a thing called the Fiasco Culture Book, yes. and this is this is literally you know uh, eighty pages that if, when you join the company you get it on your first day, and it it scripts essentially everything you need to know what it's like when you screw up, uh, how we're not perfect and really allows insights into, into the culture at, at an early, early stage. And as we were writing this, um, someone sort of said, you know, is it you that champions this or is it the, the team? And I said, it's gotta be the team. It can't be me anymore. So uh-huh. I went from sort of the chief culture officer, we'll say, and to the custodian of culture. And, you know, I love the word custodian because it's, you know, I remember being in school <laughs> yeah. and, and, and there was, there was that, you know, people are like, Oh, that's the janitor. And that was when people didn't show respect. But when you said custodian, it gave it this level of like, a, a responsibility to make sure that the gym floor was clean and, you know, everything was neat and tidy. And I feel that in our organization, like we have a thing called culture club and I'm not a part of it. The team basically handles all of the things that have to do with it. All my job is to do is when it gets messy, I come in and I clean it up. You're the custodian. 
Yeah. So is that how you, uh, cause one of my other questions is, you know, you've got to live and maintain and, and pivot a bit on that, on the, on the culture as uh, your company grows, more people are involved, uh, society changes, customers change and so on. Um, how, is that what the culture cub does is, is, is keep the ship focused in the right direction to address those, uh, those things that are important to make sure that we're actually living the book. Yeah, I, uh, I I made it very clear to the team that we, you know, we have eight core values and, and it's mandatory that these people know them, you know, off the back of their hand and, and know them by heart, um, that the culture book is is an easy reference point. A lot of them carry it with them so they can reference it at any time. Neat. And And we start to, you know, get to a point where we look at something like team lunches and we do a hot lunch for the entire team every day. And somebody suggests, you know, Hey, you know, we want to have a say in this. So then the culture club's like, great, why don't we have some recipe submissions and, you know, all these little things that are like really kind of quirky and fun and probably take a, a little bit away from, you know, people doing what I would call like effective work. Um, but what it does is it increases productivity and increases innovation. So people are always thinking creatively now, not only about how we do things within the organization, but how we treat one another. And uh, I think that that's like the biggest part that I enjoy is that our our culture is always changing and growing up. Just like I said, the DNA, a yeah. child, all those yeah. things. Yeah, and, of course. And anytime we get, we'll say, you know, a little off track or or the ship is a bit out to sea, you know, everyone sort of comes back to those eight core values pretty quickly and allows themselves to to really understand, like, why we're here and doing what we do. How does someone get privileged enough to be on the culture club? Uh, well, we have, <laughs> it gets a little crazy and I know everyone's going to be like, okay, you know, calm down with the culture here, but we have, <laughs> it's we have what's, we have what's called the core value awards every year on December 19th. And that was the day of the fire in 2015. Yes. And, um, so a very significant day. So we, we do our Christmas party that day and, and, uh, we do a celebration. So if your name is on one of the trophies, uh, you, you get privileged to be a part of the culture club. And then if you choose to sort of pass it on to somebody else, they have to be, you know, equally as, uh, uh, accountable, uh, as you would be. So, um, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. I'll, I'll say that the most important thing I can share with anyone in, in their organization is people often I see try to dictate culture from, you know, an ivory tower and they're, they're not really thinking like everyone that's in the trenches doing the day to day. And that was one thing that from the early days I said, you know, this is a democracy that the company needs to run where everyone has, has input. And so if you run an organization or you work for an organization, make sure as hell that everybody's involved in, in what your culture is or else it won't be, um, accepting or responsible for uh, a certain group and therefore it's not inclusive so um yeah and that's one of the things that i think is important right from the very beginning is there any you know you talked about values is there anything besides values from a structural perspective for a young entrepreneur that's about to begin or is kind of like in their first year of business uh that you would say this is you know the top three things top two things you you, you really must do besides the values um 
I think uh, if if it was those early days, um, I would just say that you know don't let it don't let it get away on you. Uh, again, I'll go back to people that raise money too early and sort of have uh, you know either investors or or a board that that sort of say our priority here is to make money. And I think that if you do the right things, the money will come. So don't don't lose that trajectory. Um, I would say that getting involved in your community, and we're just discovering now how we do this nationally as well. Um, being involved in your community in some way, shape or form is, is really important. And it can be as simple as we do a thing called breakfast club. So every Wednesday we go to a low income school, not too far from, from headquarters and, and we serve hot, hot breakfast to 80 kids. And that takes literally nothing except two people getting up at six 30 and making breakfast and showing up at the school. And so, so literally when people say, Oh, that seems like it's cool. Like, how do you do it? I'm like, well, you buy ingredients and you make breakfast. And you <laughs> take the breakfast to the school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, and and I would say uh number 3 and probably more important than all of it is uh tons of gratitude for the people that show up for you every day to help you build your dream and um that sense of gratitude just just pours out over fiasco. We have a thing called high fives and praises so uh through Slack or or a program we use called 15.5, you can give people high fives. And, you know, in the course of a month, I was just looking at our stats. There's almost 1,500 moments of praises in 30 days across the organization, 50, 60 people. And when you have that type of camaraderie and uh, and thankfulness and gratitude, man, it's really hard for for people to say, I want to go find somewhere else to work. You know, they they say, I want to remain committed. And, and so that's how you keep people for, uh, for longer than a, a reason or a season and maybe for a lifetime. Love it. So where's, uh, where's, what's the next, uh, uh, 12 months look like for uh, fiasco Gilletto? Yeah, we're, um, you know, we're really, uh, excited about the East. I got to spend some time actually, uh, my mom, uh, uh, a little while ago, decided to move to the junction. She, she lives in Ormocto. Oh, is and, that right? Uh, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Love so, uh, cool. So there's there's a different level of uh, I'll say I'll say loyalty and passion uh, that I find in East Coasters and and you know we're super grateful to to have a start uh, over there and um, and continue to build out uh, the Atlantic region for us and and uh, Ontario is a good quest you know it's uh, it's a different part of Canada that um, you know people are either in or out and and so that gives us a chance to to really shine and uh, the prairies are always uh, near and dear to my heart and we we continue to do good work here and then you know on the west coast when i look at at uh, our fans in in vancouver and whatnot like they really get that piece they get the culture they get that we're you know a, a uh, best for the world b corp honoree and, right. and all the things that we're doing to to sort of change the way people look at business so you know the next 12 months i'll say is you know one day at a time continuing the quest and and honoring our commitment to show up uh, in every way shape or form and and i i just get really excited that you know there's a, a really great opportunity for us to become, you know, a household name and, and an exemplary, exemplary company here in Canada, because as I alluded to before, you know, this is the greatest country on earth. And, and for us to proudly say that we are Canadian and work diligently to represent Canada, pretty cool. So we'll just keep doing what we're doing.
a bromance here man <laughs> this is just wonderful so a couple things first of all uh i totally love the fact that you identified we're on the east coast nothing drives me more crazy than people say oh i'm going east what do you mean i'm going to toronto no it's not <laughs> east coast not the east coast <laughs> i'm living on the east coast so uh so that's the first thing the other thing i noticed is you referred to your customers in uh, bc as your fans is that uh, is that a uh, is that how you reference your yeah. your customers yeah when we look at um you know using uh business lingo when we look at b2c business like they're 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 not customers they're they're fans they're people that got excited about what we do and they they embrace us and they, they the word of mouth and sharing with their friends and and whatnot is you know they're they're you know, if we were if we were a rock band or or whatnot, they they would just be our fans. They'd show up at our shows and 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 scream and shout. And so that's what I love about it. And then when we look at our our B two B business, um, you know, everyone calls them clients or customers or whatever. And I'm just like, man, all these terms are are just like so one sided. Yeah. And and we call them partners. And because literally their success is our success. So when a retailer, you know, works with us and we get on board and then we go into the stores and meet the stock boys and, and we just like celebrate and are so thankful that, you know, they took a chance to on us. And then they say, Hey, like, you know, our numbers are up in the category or, you know, real people are really excited that we carry your product now, like that, that contributes to their success as well. So is that not a partnership? Right. And, and so it gets confusing sometimes, but I, I love to sort of, you know, make people confused with things that they're yeah. maybe not so used to. So it's beautiful. I think yeah. it really is. Amazing. I mean, I, when I, when I talk to somebody, uh, you know, which it's proverbial. So what do you do? I always lead with, so what's your story? And to see the right. reaction of their face is so cool to see. What do you mean? What's my story? Yeah. Tell me yeah. your story. And then of course you can dive a little bit more into, uh, into the, uh, the dialogue. Um, I got to tell you, this is James has been a, a magical conversation, and uh, I am I one want to make sure that when you're coming down this way, uh, if you uh, have the time to to reach out, uh, I would love to buy you a beer. Uh, you can good. show me where I can get the gelato, and uh, I'm going <laughs> to go on your site for sure. Uh, and you said the junction that is so cool too. I know exactly where he's talking about, folks. <laughs> it's called, <laughs> it is called the junction, and it used to be a train going through the junction when into Maine and then back out again into wow. Quebec as part of the Canada wide uh, train that went through. So, oh yeah, yeah. it was, it's a big deal. So, uh, <laughs> leave us with some, uh, you know, um, your, uh, your, your words of, of thought, wisdom, whatever you want to call it, uh, that, uh, are yours to impart at any level that you want for our audience. For sure. Um, I would say, you know, going back to, to what, what effectively we talked about today is, um, you know, success in any business, uh, isn't an entitlement. It's, it's something you earn. And when I look at, you know, that inherent responsibility to look after your people, uh, your community and, uh, and continue to, to embrace, uh, change, it's, it's pretty, pretty important to acknowledge that. I think that, um, you know, as I've built this company, it's, it's been, you know, a lonely, dark place sometimes. So for all the entrepreneurs listening right. that, you know, sort of have the courage to, to own an idea and try to bring it to fruition. Um, you know, we've got to, we got to realize that that actually gives us a pretty good, um, platform for vulnerability. And I would say that one of the greatest, uh, I would say admirations that comes from my team about my leadership, uh, comes back to vulnerability oh. because, because 
when you when you allow yourself to be honest and and truthful and transparent with with the organization, um, you'll be surprised at how those people will show up for you um, when it gets the darkest. And when we had the fire in 2015, um, you know, we have a again a little emotional, but. Um, mm. We have a, a trophy called the uh, Spirit of Fiasco, and um, there's 12 names on it from 2015 because those people uh, understood how much I had committed up until that point and how much they were invested, and they all stuck around uh, to, to rebuild this company from the ashes. And the only way I believe that we achieved that was was that level of, of humility and vulnerability. So um, if you're building a company or you work for a company or you own a company already, um, you know, just have the courage to be be honest and truthful. I uh, I'm sitting with a microphone that's attached to a large contraption that holds it if i could drop the mic on the floor that would be a <laughs> great way to end this conversation dude uh, thanks how, how do uh, we we know how to get uh, in touch with fiasco how do we get in touch with you on linkedin is there any way that people can reach out and and uh, and tap into this 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 yeah. journey of yours yeah, you know, I would uh, I would say if you go on any social media platform, just James Bocher, uh, you can find me there. B o e t t c h e r. Um, the brand is really you know where where you get to feel and experience all all levels of it. So Fiasco Gelato on on all platforms, um, and then uh, if you get a chance, there's a couple cool videos uh, on YouTube. There's one we did about the fire, and then we just launched our culture video this year, and it's called Who We Are. And it's about four and a half minutes that are really really give you the insight into you know what it takes to build a, a brand like fiasco and and so check all that out and and um, you know if you're you ever see me around at an event or whatever I, I love meeting new people so uh, don't be afraid afraid to say hi Brilliant, my friend it's been an honor thank you so much for your time and uh, just the proverbial keep on happening all right thank you rivers talk to you soon dude okay cheers Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca 